We are in Yavamos, the very bottom of Gimel Bay, the last line. 3b4 in the Arsul Gemara, moving on to Dalad Amanala, 4a1. The Gemara now, for the next couple of pages, is really going to get into a side topic. It's really leaving the broader discussion of Yavamos, and it's going to discuss a new topic, a related topic, but a different topic. And the new topic that we're going to be discussing is Essay Docha Los Essay. We just ended off with the discussion about Yibum, that in Yibum and Yevamos, we have a clash sometimes. We could have a clash. In every case of Yibum, we have a clash because there's a positive mitzvah, a commandment to do Yibum, the mitzvah of Yibum. But at the same time, it's to your sister-in-law, who, where there's a prohibition. There's a prohibition to marry your sister-in-law. So how exactly does that work? That's a discussion in Yibum. We ended off with a discussion of Maybe we should say the positive mitzvah of Yibam should override the prohibition, not just of your sister-in-law, but let's say your sister-in-law is also your daughter. Your brother married your own daughter. And so maybe the mitzvah of Yibam should push that aside. So within that discussion, we come on to this uh, new discussion of, in general, how do we know about the principle of Esay Docha Losasay, that a positive mitzvah, a positive commandment, overrides a negative commandment, meaning if there's a positive commandment, but in order to fulfill that positive commandment, you have to violate a negative commandment, we will tell you, the Torah tells us to do the positive commandment, even though you're going to violate a negative commandment. And we're going to give examples as we go through these pages of the Gemara, we'll also see that there are definitely limitations to this principle to see how far, we'll see how, how, how expansive this idea is. But the Gemara just starts off with a question. Vesu. minalan Moving on to 4A1. The Gemara asks, what is the source? We need a verse. We need a Pasuk to tell us that there's a concept of Esay Docha Losasei. That if you, the, if the only way to fulfill the positive commandment, or let's say you're fulfilling a positive commandment, you have, you're able to violate the negative commandment at the same time. We need a verse for that, which is interesting. That implies, just by stopping there, that implies that if without the verse, we wouldn't say such a principle. Without a verse in the Torah, just by logic alone, we wouldn't necessarily say that a positive. if you have a positive commandment, that it overrides the negative commandment, meaning you'd be violating the negative commandment. And perhaps the reason for that is in, in many different areas of law, we find that the negative commandment is in fact more stringent than the positive commandment. I'll just give two examples, but there are a few examples for this idea. Uh, two examples. One example is the punishment. The punishment for violating a negative commandment, for most negative commandments, is lashes. You get lashes for the punishment. If there are witnesses and they warn you, it requires witnesses and warning, but the punishment would be lashes. If you don't perform a positive mitzvah, if you don't sit in the sukkah, if you don't blow shofar in Rosh Hashanah, there's no punishment. There's no pun- direct punishment from the court system. But if you violate a negative commandment, so then there is the punishment of lashes. So that's one one area where we see that the negative commandment is more severe. A second area where it's more stringent is how much you have to spend to perform a positive commandment and how much you have to spend to prevent yourself from violating a negative commandment. Monetarily, how much would you have to spend? And for a negative commandment, it's it's stricter than a positive commandment. For a negative commandment, we say 
you have to spend however much money you have, all the money you have, in order not to, to prevent yourself, in order to prevent yourself from violating an Eved commandment. When it comes to a positive commandment, to buy an esrog, to buy a sukkah, to sit in the sukkah, it's up to twenty percent of your money. Beyond that, you don't have to spend. But up to 20% you would have to spend. But when it comes to violating a negative commandment, we would tell you to spend all your money to prevent yourself from violating a negative commandment. So it seems to be, there are various sources which seem to imply, that a, violating a negative commandment is more severe than performing a positive commandment. So here we have a clash. In our scenario we have a clash. To perform a positive, it's a very fascinating case where you know, you have to, you're performing this positive commandment, but at the same time you're also going to violate a negative commandment, which overrides the other, which value seemingly would override the other value. There are different ways to say it, but you have to, we, if, if violating the negative commandment is more severe, so then one has to think about it, one has to try to figure out why it is that the positive commandment would override the negative commandment in these scenarios, and hopefully we'll get to it as we go through the recordings. But that's the question of the Gemara. What's the source for this idea that a positive commandment would override a negative commandment when we have these clash of values? So the Gemara brings one proof. They're going to bring one proof. They're going to bring multiple proofs. But for, for this week's recording, we're going to only have one proof. And it says, The proof is that there is a connection between different verses that are right next to each other. That we have two verses that are right next to each other. And there is a concept that if they're right next to each other, that means there's some sort of connection where you could apply some of the laws from one to the other. That it's like we, we could read it all together. Uh, this idea, as we're about to see, is, is, is questionable. Whether we have such a concept, called it's called smuchen, that when you have one verse next to another verse, that you could derive laws from one verse to the other verse. And we're going to see that this is not always applicable. It's sometimes applicable, as the Gemara will soon explain. But what exactly is going on here? One verse says that you're not allowed to wear shatnis. Shatnis is wearing wool and linen together. You're not allowed to wear wool and linen together. The other mitzvah that's mentioned right after that is that you should wear tzitzis. Right after that, the next verse, it says that you should wear tzitzis. Now, when you wear tzitzis, if somebody wears tchelas, the blue strings... Those blue strings are made out of wool. They're made out of wool. And the connection between the two tells us that even though you have wool strings, you're allowed to have a linen garment for your tzitzis. Even though that's in violation of shatnas, you are violating shatnas, which is a negative commandment. But since you are performing the positive mitzvah of wearing tzitzis with the tchelas, which is wool, so the positive mitzvah of wearing tzitzis overrides the negative commandment of wearing shatnas, the linen garment together with the wool tzitzis. So that seems to be a proof. This is the proof that they bring. Uh, this is the first proof that's brought to the idea that that if you have a positive commandment, it overrides the negative commandment in that you could perform the positive commandment even though you are going to be violating a negative commandment. And this principle is based on the idea called smuchim, that we have two verses in the Torah right next to each other. So the Gemara now brings another proof to the idea that there's a concept called smuchen. That there, you can have two, the Gemara first wants to know where is this concept of smuchen. How do we know that there's such a concept of connecting two verses in the Torah that are right after each other? Shinamra, they quote a verse from, That 
the with regards to these verses, they are joined forever and together. They are fashioned in truth and uprightness. And when we have two verses together, that means there's some sort of they're joined together. This connection between them. And the Gemara brings another proof, another example to this idea. And they quote the same person, Rabbi Lazar. Happens to be that this other example is connected to Yibam, so it does connect to the to the, the Yibam, to the to the Masechta, to the broader Masechta tractate of Yibam, and it asks So this is an interesting question. When the Torah discusses Yibam, it discusses Yibam from the perspective of the man, the brother-in-law, and that it says that if he wants to do Yibam, he's allowed to do Yibam. But if he doesn't want to do Yibam, it's not, you know, we, we, we prioritize Yibam from the Torah, but if they can't do Yibam, then do, we do Chalitza. What if she doesn't want to do Yibam? What if the sister-in-law doesn't want to do Yibam? Does she have the right to back out? Well, if there's no reason for her to back out, if she just, there's, there's no real reason for her to back out, she just doesn't want to do, do the mitzvah of Yibam, we don't have a clear source for that to say that uh, she's she can't, she doesn't have to do Yibam. But if there's a good reason for her not to do Yibam, the Gemara here discusses one example, that it, what happens if the husband, the brother-in-law, sorry, is afflicted with boils. It, or any any real concern, if there's a serious concern, how do we know that even though it's not stated in the Torah explicitly that we should opt for Chalitza, for the way out, how do we know that if she says so, that that she has a good reason to, to back out, that we 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 believe her. We Not just we believe her, we, we go with that and... We tell we tell them not to do yibum. Shenamar, how do we know this? It, because there are two verses that are right next to each other. Right before yibum, it says los achsam shorbadisho. Right before the midst of yibum, it says you cannot muzzle an ox during its threshing. You're not allowed to muzzle the ox while it is threshing. And then the next verse says utzamach like kiyishu achim yachtav that the whole mitzvah of yibum and the fact that they're next to each other comes to tell us that we don't muzzle the sister-in-law. We don't tell them the sister-in-law to remain quiet. We want her to speak up. We want her to speak up and to explain why she doesn't want to go through this Yibam. And if there's a good reason why she doesn't want to go through this Yibam, so we say, we have this principle of Smukhan to tell us that there's no Yibam. And Rashi explains that we do Chalitza instead. We do this option, this backup option of Chalitza to get out of Yibam. Okay, it's an interesting idea within the broader discussion of Yibam, but the reason why the Gemara brings this in is really to teach us the idea of Smukhan. That we have another case of Smukhan of where we learn Torah principles because one verse is right after another. And the Gemara now exp- explains that this is, does not always apply, this concept of learning various laws from from one law which is found in one verse to the another law which is found in the next verse, this doesn't always apply. That even according to the opinion that says that we don't always uh, learn from a juxtaposition of Sukkim of verses. When it comes to the fifth book of the Torah, when it comes to the Mishnah Torah, Deuteronomy, then everyone agrees that we do do it. And they bring a proof to this, the Harabi Yehuda Ba'amalodarsh, Mishnah Torah Darsh, because Rabbi Yehuda in general, he does not expound on verses that are juxtaposed to each other. But when it comes to the fifth book, he does. And the Gemara now is going to prove that Rabbi Yehuda doesn't, when it comes to the first four books, he does not apply this principle of 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 uh, expounding on a, on juxtaposed verses when it comes to the first four books of the Torah. When it comes to the last book of the Torah, Mishnah Torah, he does he does expound when we have two verses that are juxtaposed right after one after another. And the cases that we had until now, they're all found 
in the book of Dvarim. Those, those are all found in the fifth book. All the cases of Shatnas and Tzitzis and of Yibam, that, those are all found in the fifth book. So the Gemara now is going to prove that Rabbi Huda doesn't hold of expounding juxtaposed verses in the rest of the Torah, and we'll conclude with that for this recording. And then in the next recording, it'll prove that he does hold of it when it comes to the fifth book of the Torah. The Gemara says, How do we know that he doesn't expound upon juxtaposed verses in general for the first four books of the Torah? The Tanya, because it's taught in a Brisa, Ben Azai Omer, Ben Azai says, Namar that there is a violation to be a sorcerer. There's a, the Torah says that you're not allowed to be a sorcerer. And it says that it's deserving of the death penalty. We don't know we don't know what the death penalty is. And the Gemara is going to have a discussion now. What is the death penalty? Everyone's going to agree that it is stoning. The question is that you get stoning. The question is, where does that come from? What's the how do they get to that conclusion? Because the Torah doesn't tell us that it's stoning. How do we know that it's stoning? So Ben Azai says, one opinion says that first first says that a sorcerer does not live. The next verse says, "Venamar kol shochevim behema most you must that bestiality is put to get put put to death. That if you, for bestiality you're put to death. Samchu inyan lo, and there's a connection between the two because there there these are verses that are near each other. Moving on to four a two in the article, mashochim behema biskila av machshefa biskila. Just like we know that for bestiality the death is by stoning, so too when it comes to a sorceress it's liable to death by stoning. Okay." We see that Benazai does is of the opinion these are verses that are not found in Devarim in the fifth book, and he does apply the principle of expounding on two verses that are right next to each other. However, Rabbi Huda is about to respond back. Rabbi Huda is the one that says that no, we do not expound on those verses. Amalo Rabbi Huda, the reader says, since we're not discussing the fifth book, says just because they're just just juxtaposed to each other, that doesn't prove to us that the death is for stoning. How do we know the death is for stoning? Because there were other forms of idol worship and of magic of called Ov and Yedoni, and they're all part of sorcerers. And why were they excluded? The verse, the verse, the Torah tells us that that Ov and Yedoni, these are different types of this form of magic which shall be put to get to death. Why they excluded? To teach us that just like Ovidoni, the verse tells us that it's death by stoning. So, so too, all other sorcerer or sorceresses are liable to death by stoning. The point of the Gemara, by bringing this, is just the main point is to tell us that Rabbi Huda, when it comes to uh, outside the book of Dvarm, when it comes to the first four books of the Torah, we do not apply the principle of of smuchin, of expounding on psukim, on verses that are right next to each other. And then in the next recording, we are going to see how he does expound, even Rabbi Hudu, who doesn't for the first four, he does expound on the fifth book to, uh, to expound upon juxtaposed psukim, juxtaposed verses. We'll just conclude with the question of why. Why, why exactly is this? Why would, we, why would Rabbi Huda say, I understand if you say that sometime that you're of the opinion that you, we, if there's two verses that are right next to each other, you could learn one a law from one to the other for all the Torah, or to say that, well, no, we don't have such a principle, but what is this idea to say that we have the principle, but only for the fifth book of the Torah? So two ideas 
behind uh, this idea of Rabbi Huda that we only apply it for the fifth book of the Torah. The first idea is as follows. The first idea is that when the Torah was given, there's a, another Gemara tells us that when the Torah was given, there's a dispute as to whether it was given after we was given to us at, at Harsinai, on Mount Sinai, we have the rest of the Torah, which takes place as they go through the desert. So it was each part given as they went through the desert. The next part was written after they went through that story. They wrote that down. Or was it all given at the end? At the very end of them being in the desert, at first they were only given the to- part of the Torah that was applicable for their time when they at Mount Sinai. And the rest of the stories that took place afterwards was written down only, it wasn't written down as they went along. There's an opinion that says it was only given down at the end. If it was given down scroll by scroll, story by story, so then we cannot, according to Rabbi Yehuda, you cannot expound upon verses that are right next to each other. Because the reason why they're right next to each other is not because it was intentional to learn one law from the other. The reason why it was just right next to each other is because that's how the story went. That's how it went. When they were going through the desert, that's what they discussed next. That, that was the next story. So you can't expound upon one verse from another if they're right next to each other because the reason why they're right next to each other is because they wrote down the Torah just as they were going along based on what was happening. However, when it comes to the fifth book, the fifth book was all written down. It was all on the last day of Moshe's life. The whole entire fifth book is the last day of Moshe's life. And so then it could be intentional. It could be that they wrote down the Torah intentionally to have it that one verse could expound and the next verse, there's a connection between the two verses such that you could expound a certain law that connects these two verses. But it wouldn't apply for the first four books because those were written down not intentionally to have one verse relate to the next verse, but it was written down just as they went through the desert. That's one idea. The second idea is that when it comes to the book of Dvarim, the last book, there are those that say that Moshe really, it was given by, from Hashem to Moshe, but Moshe had more of a hand, he had more of a, of a role when they were writing down the fifth book, the book of Devarim. He was more of an active player when it comes to the fifth book. The fifth book is all about him talking to the Jewish people, uh, and so he had played more of a role. Since he played more of a role, so then Rabbi Huda is of the opinion that he intentionally put certain verses next to each other when it comes to the fifth book, um, as opposed to the first four, Moshe played less of a role in terms of that, so therefore we cannot expound upon two verses that are right next to each other. But when it comes to the fifth book, we can. Okay, we'll continue in the next recording with a proof that Rabbi Huda is Dorish. He does expound upon two verses that are next to each other when it comes to the book of Dvarim, the fifth book of the Torah.